Shabbat Shalom and welcome everyone. My name is Noel Joshua Hadley. I am the creator, main writer, and editor-in-chief of The Unexpected Cosmology and Classes in Session. You're probably sick and tired of me telling you that each and every week. But if I'm not mistaken, I do hold the microphone at present. So I'll say it if I want to. Also, I can say Shabbat Shalom this evening because if you're on the full moon is the new moon 13th month calendar. I'll repeat that again if you didn't hear that. If you're on the full moon is the new moon 13, 13th month calendar, then we have just completed Yom Teruah. That would be the Feast of Trumpets. I keep getting asked if and when the unexpected cosmology will take an official position on the calendar. I can't rightly say at the moment, but if and when that happens, the full moon may just be our final contender. Again, we shall see. One of the greater controversies over the last year, particularly here in our neck of the woods, but also in pockets of the greater Torah community, has materialized over the following question. Was Yahusha, or Yeshua, the carpenter's son from Nazareth, indeed Messiah? Or was he, say, a Roman invention? We had a rather large fraction or falling away earlier in the year regarding this very issue and other questions surrounding it. While I don't necessarily care to go digging under the outhouse again to reanimate this rotting corpse, the fact of the matter is I lost more friends and contemporaries over the last year, all of whom either walked away from Yeshua or Torah, and in some cases the entire Bible, than at any other time in my life. It was a shock and awe experience, to say the least. I know I've spoken on this a lot. For the record, my faith in Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim of Yasharel, as well as Yahusha HaMashiach, is stronger now than ever before. That probably has something to do with having gone through the experience. There's probably some saying to go along with that. I didn't like the journey, but there's nowhere else I'd rather be than the current destination. A middle-aged man once said that. I think that person would be me. During the episode of this last year, I would take phone calls from friends or acquaintances who confessed that they had already assumed in the very least, oh, let me rephrase that. They had always assumed in the very least that Yahushua was there to be read in the Tanakh, but they could no longer make a case for that. I simply couldn't understand their position at all. When I look at scripture from beginning to end, I see the presence of Yahushua everywhere, the word of Yahuwah. Clearly, their love of Yahusha, which had once brought them immeasurable joy, and even to the truth of Torah and the truther movement as a whole, was now engulfed by despair and darkness. That happens. People do come to knowledge of the light and then fall back into the darkness again. I've seen it happen, especially this last year. That should humble all of us. Nobody is above the trips and the hazards of the devil. Hasatan comes only to steal and to destroy. Tonight, we have another very special guest. Those who are joining us live tonight probably know Pamela as one of the administrators here at the Unexpected Cosmology. It brought me great joy to finally meet, but also immerse Pamela at our, at our baptismal event just north of Tampa, Florida, last August. And what do you know, something I came to learn that day is that she's very handy with the ukulele, or was it the mandolin? I can't recall. It had strings, though. Well. The Psalm Project is also the work of Pamela. What's that, you ask? Well, I'm actually glad you ask. Pamela describes the Psalm Project as follows. 
The Psalm Project represents my desire for a deeper understanding of the word of Yahuwah. It is not a mechanical translation, a one word for word exchange from Hebrew to English. We have those. This is a lyrical adaptation of the many possibilities hidden in the Hebrew, arranged with consideration for the poetic and musical intent of the original writer. I pray you are as enriched in the reading as I was in the transcribing. Every week for the last couple of months, we have been premiering Pamela's transla translation on cosmology. They're exceptionally beautiful. I really am excited whenever she delivers her latest psalm. And I wanted more people to have, have the opportunity to experience them. It's why I've asked her to come on tonight. You may be wondering why I started out talking about Yahusha's whereabouts in the Tanakh. And that is because Pamela's presentation tonight is titled, Yahusha in the Psalms. That's one of the comments I made to Pamela when reading through her lyrical adaptations. Messiah seems to be present everywhere. Before I bring her on, I wanted to read one of her recent translations. Hopefully she won't mind. You're all, familiar, you're all familiar with Psalm 23. It's famously known as the Shepherd's Psalm. You're probably, you probably even have it memorized. What I wanted to do is read Psalm 23 from the King James Version first, um, the version you, you're all acquainted with, before comparing with Pamela's version. So here it goes. And Pamela, if you were planning to read from Psalm 23, I apologize. You still can. No, no, no. No. <laughs> I was not planning on that. Okay, perfect. I was trying to get into your head and think, what is she not going to read from tonight? So I got, <laughs> I, I did it right. All right, here it goes. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or I guess, suppose you could say, Yahuwah is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord, Yahuwah, forever. And now for Pamela's version. To, uh, adapted from a mismore of David, Psalm 23, to be played upon the string instrument. Here it goes. The self-existent eternal one, Yahuwah shepherds me. I lack no good thing. I possess all that I need. Yahuwah keeps company with me. He is both friend and guide. He navigates my journey. He conducts me to wellsprings of consolation. In a relaxed, recumbent position, among tender green herbs, I lie down and find rest. I reside in calmly pleasant places as a sparkling watercourse flows past. I sigh with contentment. I am sustained. I am protected. I am safe. He recovers and refreshes my nefesh, my vitality. The self-existent one guides me in the way of, I'm going to mispronounce this, Pamela, Sedek. Uh, for the purpose of his honor and for his character's sake, yes, even though as I walk, I am chased, hunted, ensnared, carried away under a narrow gorge by the death shadow, I will fear, I will fear neither adversity nor affliction. Yahuwah, his tribe, his staff, his scepter will support and console me. In front of the bound ones, right in the faces of those who treated me with enmity, Yahuwah arranges the king's table. 
seraphim and cherubim watch from a distance. As cons conspicuously, he furnishes a feast. He anoints my head, washing away ashes, pouring oil. My cup, my portion, my inheritance is both wealthy and satisfying. Good indeed, only the best shall chase me down and overtake me. Kindness shall pursue me from the sunrise to the sunset of my life. And I will be established in the house and the family of the self-existent one, Ahaya. For this time and further than I can see or perceive to the edge of the horizon and beyond. All right. So that was Pamela's version of Psalm 23. So huge difference. And you can see what you're in for tonight. And so there you have it. Quite a difference. No. But it is recognizable. Hopefully you guys were able to um, kind of see all the different passages in there. All right. So let's go ahead and pray. And then I'll bring Pamela on. Yahuwah, Most High Elohim, self-existent and eternal. I am indeed grateful to have been born, to have consciousness, to experience your world, but even more importantly, to have come to know you on this journey. Hopefully everyone here feels the same. Why we were, why we were determined for this hour, this very late hour, as opposed to the generations before us, is due to your wisdom alone. You have chosen us for these dark days. We understand so very little. We don't know how high the sky is or how deep the earth or how wide its measurements. We don't even know what year we find ourselves in. We certainly don't know how many more days we've been given. Keep us humble in realizing how little we know. Help us to understand that you dispense parcels of knowledge to some and again others to more. May we be found May we not be found mismanaging your talents. May we be teachable, capable of realizing our error. May we, be, may we become repungent towards sin. Thank you for giving us your gift of light in this very dark place, your instructions in righteousness, your word. We know your word is Torah, but also the word made flesh is your son. Thank you for giving the greatest gift of all in that while we were lost in our sins, Messiah died for us. We pray these things in your name, in the name of your son, Yehusha HaMashiach, and the Ruach HaKodesh. Amen. <laughs> As Hank just said, <laughs> <laughs> I heard a little bit of a, uh, a trumpet blast there somewhere. So let's get started. And now I'll be handing it over to Pamela. For those of you listening in, please consider taking down observations and plotting questions so that we can discuss afterwards. It's all yours. All right. Uh, thank you all. Um, I want to sort of use the same format as some of the other speakers have used. I'm going to use the article that appeared in Unexpected Cosmology as, as my starting point. I might... I do have some additions to go along with it because I, I had to just keep tinkering with it. So uh, I'm going to start with it, and um, and uh, it is from Pamela, daughter of James, to the scattered tribes of Israel. You who are seekers of knowledge, you who worship Elohim with a sincere heart, I greet you in the name of Yahusha Hamashiach, before we begin this study, I, I want you to understand that this was never anything that I envisioned for myself. 
whenever I had visions of the future, this was this was not something I thought that would be happening to me. I never thought that I would be speaking in such a manner to a group of people from diverse places, so many different places, all of whom are gathered here listening to what I have to say it and to present. I'm I'm humbled, I'm honored and a little bit apprehensive. And you might wonder to yourself, well, then why, why are you apprehensive? Well, when you present an idea, not everyone is going to accept what you have to say. Uh, especially, you know, when you start talking about um, like the King James Version and some versions of the scripture, some, somebody may take offense at it. And I've sort of resigned myself to this. And the the, am I, you know, then why am I doing this? Why am I making myself vulnerable and leaving myself open to misinterpretation? Simply put, I'm writing this paper for the purpose of strengthening your faith. We live in chaotic times. Daily, we witness an unprecedented attack on the person and character of Messiah. We observe the apostasy of many leaders within the Torah movement, as Noah was referencing, we see the rise of the one world religion. There have been bold statements claiming that Yosha HaMashiach does not appear in the Old Testament. You may even hear whispered in your own ear, as once was said in the Garden of Paradise, did Elohim really say? Even though I'm but a humble, lowly student of Hebrew, I do not claim to be an expert. Um, I have found plenty of evidence of his presence in the Hebrew Tanakh. And you may well ask yourself, then why isn't it showing up in the translations? Well, the answer is because Yahweh willed it to be that way. In Proverbs 25, 2, we read, It is the glory of Elohim to conceal a thing. It is the honor of kings to search out a matter. You may be thinking, well, this seems a little bit far-fetched. You cannot comprehend Elohim would create humans, put them in this beautiful living environment, and then hide himself from them. It's not exactly the chronology, but and when we think, of course, in those terms, it, it, we're skipping a lot of content. But if you fast forward through time, you will realize, yes, of course, he has hidden himself in the past. And he will hide himself in the f- present and in the future. And the, the question, why? Well, because of our behavior. And Isaiah 59.2, uh, I'm reading now the. TS 2009. I think I've got the Sefer in the article. And it says, look, in Isaiah 59.2, look, too short to say. His ear too heavy to hear. Your crookedness have separated you from your Elohim, and your sins have hidden his face from you, from hearing. In Amos 3 and 3, this is also the TS 2009, would two walk together without having met? The Sefer says, tell, it tells us in that same passage, can two walk together except they be agreed? 
there exists in scripture this beautiful picture, this beautiful picture of companionship. Am I moving? Am I yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, you're getting a little muffled. Maybe it's perhaps you're turning your head from your mic or something, but just letting okay. you know. All right. Sure. Well, uh, there exists in Scripture a beautiful picture of companionship. Elohim, he comes to the Garden of Paradise to walk and to converse with Adam. The book of Bereshit, that is Genesis, records how Adam reacts when he hears the sound of Yahuwah, Elohim, walking in the garden in the Ruah. Adam hides himself. Now, um, I'm going to read from Jeff Brenner's The Torah, a mechanical translation. It's a great resource if you ever um, have a chance. In Genesis 3, it says, And they heard the voice of Yahuwah, the Elohim, walking himself uh, in the garden for the wind of the day, and the human and his woman withdrew themselves from the face of Yahuwah the Elohim into the mists of the trees of the garden. And Yahuwah the Elohim called out to the human and he said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I feared, given that I am naked and I withdrew. Uh, that word withdraw, Chabah, it has this added besides being to withdraw or hide themselves, that's, that means to do so secretly. So when, when we, we see this picture of Adam, we, we have to understand we're the same. When we stop walking with Elohim, we hide ourselves. We are no longer in agreement with what the Most High tells us. He, we don't want reminders of our failures. We don't want any reminders. It's much easier Hiding the truth from ourselves is much easier to pretend that everything is fine. But despite these things, despite everything, he continues to call us, just as he did Adam in that garden of paradise. He sends prophets, he sends wise persons and messengers. Now, uh, concerning Yosha being hidden, he was hidden for a specific person purpose um as we read in isaiah 49 1 through 8 i'm going i'm going to be reading that from um the ts 2009 again and um this is this is concerning you know the 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 prophet is actually he's speaking of himself but we can we can draw some other conclusions it says listen to me o coastlands and here, you peoples from afar, Yahuwah has called me from the womb, from my mother's belly. He has caused my name to be remembered. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he hid me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I am adorned. And I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for emptiness. And in vain, but my right ruling is with Yahuwah, and my work with my Elohim. And now said Yahuwah, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring uh, Jacob back to him. Though Israel is not gathered into him, yet I am esteemed in the eyes of Yahuwah, and my Elohim has been my strength. 
And he says, shall it be a small matter for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Yaakov and to bring back the preserved ones of Israel? And I shall give you as a light to the nations to be my deliverance to the ends of the earth. Thus saith Yahuwah, the Redeemer of Israel, their set-apart one, to the despised, to the loathed, ones, uh, the loathed one of the nation, to the servant of rulers. Sovereigns shall see and arise. Rulers also shall bow themselves because of Yahuwah, who is steadfast, the set-apart one of Israel. And he has chosen you. Thus said Yahuwah, in a favorable time I will answer you. And in the day of deliverance, I will help you and I will guard you and give you for a covenant of the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the ruined inheritances. So this prophet, he's speaking in the first person. He's speaking of his, as if he were speaking of himself. But the true meaning of this arrow hidden, the arrow in the, the polished shaft, the person who spoke with a two-edged sword that's found in, in Mashiach. Now, we can cross-reference this to Revelation 1 and 16, of course. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the strength, sun shining in his strength. So, Yosha is the Most High Elohim's secret weapon. His agent traveling incognito if we can comprehend that fact if we can proceed then we can proceed to how he has been hidden and for a beautiful picture of yosha's descent uh, please do view noel's video adam's return to paradise it's beautiful how he he descended and he did so you know in in incognito so the first thing, the first thing we're going to look at is levels of obscurity, as I like to call it. The first one uh, revolves around the changing of the Hebrew from the, the ancient pictograph and the paleo to the Babylonian script. Um, some people call them the flame letters. The, these are also called the square script. This is the current modern Hebrew alphabet. When I was first trying to learn Hebrew, I delved into the square script and it looked, it just looked like a bunch of squiggles to me. It was not until I was exposed to the paleo that I truly began to understand the things that were being said. That's when it, it, it clicked. Now, in the ancient and paleo forms, each letter has an underlying meaning. Each letter also has a numeric value, but I'm not going to really deal with that. that. Uh, there's many here on Discord that are so much better at the numeric stuff than I am. So I, I'm just going to instead focus on the meaning of the letters and the picture that they convey. I dropped into the chat, the voice chat, a chart that shows you all three forms and their meaning. So how did we get here? How did we... How did this script come about? This, too, was the will of Elohim. In the Old Testament, we discovered that after the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C., Daniel and his friends were carried away captive. Daniel uh, experienced a lot of adventures. He and his companions were tested by the delicacies of the king's table. I imagine there was pork and other 
uh, forbidden foods involved. And the question was, would these young men remain true to the Torah? Then later, he was thrown into a lion's den, this time over his prayer life. Miraculous happenings and profound prophecies marked his sojourning in Babylon. After he received an end-time revelation, Daniel, he, he struggles to understand. So he fasts and he prays for understanding, and the angel arrives. The angel gives Daniel the interpretation, but then he, he also gives Daniel a rather curious command. We read the words in Daniel 12 and 4. And this one, it, it, the first one is from the King James. It says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. The Etzephor says, But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the Sephir, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and the, the knowledge shall be increased. Uh, it is my assertion that Daniel created this scare, square script. It was Daniel that did this to hide the meaning of the words and to seal and shut up the books. All right. So since we recognize that the letters themselves have changed, we come to the fact that there were books hidden. Scripture records the destruction of Jerusalem. And after the captivity of the southern kingdom, uh, they eventually returned seven, some 70 years later, and they had this uphill battle. The temple was burned, the scrolls were lost, and the enemy did not wish for them to return or to build the temple or to rebuild the wall. And we're even told in Scripture that they, were, they had a sword in one hand and building tools in the other. So it was a, an intense struggle. People kept trying to throw barricades and barriers. Well, in 4th Ezra, Chapter 14, 19 through 26. This is also from the Sefer. Then answered I before you and said, Behold, Adonai, I will go as you have commanded me and reprove the people which are present, but they that shall be bo born afterward, who shall admonish them? Thus the world is set in darkness, and they that dwell therein are without light. Your Torah is burnt, therefore... No man knows the things that are done of you or the work that shall begin. But if I have found grace before you, send the Ruach, HaKodesh, to me, and I shall write all that has been done in the world since the beginning, which were written in your Torah, that men may find your path, and that they which live in the latter days may live. And he answered me, saying, Go your way. Gather the people together and say unto them that they should seek you not for forty days, but look, prepare you many box trees and take with you uh, Saria, Dabria, Shalemyahu, Ethan, and Esiel, these five which are ready to write, write, write swiftly and come hither, and I shall light, light a candle of understanding in your heart which shall not be put out, 
till all the things be performed which you shall write. And when you have done, some things shall you publish, some things shall you show secretly to the wise. Tomorrow, this hour, shall you begin to write. Another passage in 4th Ezra. This is, again, for chapter 14, verses 44 through 48. In 40 days, they wrote 94 sephirim. And it came to pass when the 40 days were fulfilled that El Elyon spoke, saying, The first that you have written, publish openly, that the worthy and the unworthy may read it. But keep the 70 last, that you may deliver them only to such as be wise among the people. For in them is the spring of understanding, the fountain of wisdom, and the stream of knowledge. So Elohim downloaded these books into Ezra's spirit, into his mind, and he gifted the, the Torah to Israel once again. But he instructed Ezra to keep secret many of the books. It is in our time, the time of the end, that we see these books being opened. Now, the next thing, uh, there were books removed. The apocryphal books were originally contained in the canon, so-called canon. The King James Bible was a retranslation of Geneva. King James I, he hated the Geneva Bible. Uh, historians say that his theological stance was closer to the Roman Catholic Church than Anglican. Just remember his mother was Mary, Queen of Scots. And he really, really believed in that divine right of kings. Um, some say that James I caved into pressure from the Roman Catholic Church and used their word choices. Uh, also, remember from your history, in 1605, the, the, the Guy Fawkes incident where he tried to blow up Parliament and the king. Uh, Guy Fawkes was, he was Catholic. So there was this, there was many attempts on King James's life. So these King James translators were giving instructions before they began, sort of like, these are your guidelines. Instead of letting the, the, the translation say what, the words say what they say, they were given these um, instructions. Um, so King James probably, undoubtedly, wished to, uh, you know, he went, wanted to steer people away from, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry for the smoke detector, yes, it is beeping. Uh, King James, he wanted to uh, keep people from, you know, going toward Calvinism. And uh, he he even, after the King James Bible was uh, published, he outlawed the publishing of any other translations. So that was how he, he tried to uh, prevent other translations from coming about. The um, next thing, uh, you know, from 1611 to 1828, the apocryphal books were in scripture. They were in the so-called canon. And, um, and uh, they, uh, people assume 
that the Protestants removed these books, but that's not exactly accurate. Uh, it was the publishers who removed the books. The KJV was originally a two-volume set. This set weighed about 40 pounds. The removal of the apocryphal lightened the publisher's load, so to speak. They could publish these, you know, they could publish a smaller version at the same price, but then they could also publish the removed books as a separate volume and sell it. So they were, it was all about profit. Now, the next level of obscurity, um, the Nakud. Uh, the Nakud helped to conceal meaning. Now, the Nakud is a system of diacritical signs that are used to represent vowels or to distinguish the pronunciation of consonants. This system arose during the Middle Ages. Now, if you believe the historical record we've been given, somewhere around 1500 A.D., again, if you believe that narrative, it was supposedly based on the oral tradition of how the words were pronounced. Now, the Nakud is, is both a help and a hindrance. It does obscure meaning. Currently, there's a debate going on. Um, there are purists who say, you know, you have to have these Nakud. They must be adhered to. And then others, uh, particularly uh, modernists, claim that these Nakud are going out of use. Both claim that the other's in, in error. So, Who's right? Who's right in this debate? Now, proponents cl claim we need these to distinguish vowels, because if, if they say, well, we don't have any vowels in Hebrew, I say we do. And they're the symbols Aleph, Ayin, Yod, and Wav, or Vav. Now, translations. The translations also obscure meaning. The word translate itself means to change. You've probably heard that saying lost in translation is true. It's a true thing. I'm going to give just a few instances because we're going to really get into it a bit later. Uh, take, for instance, the yod he vav -he was changed to Lord, all caps. Uh, Elohim and Adonai were both changed to Lord and God. Additions to the, the Hebrew text were also made, such as the name Lucifer. It does not appear in the human, the Hebrew text. It does not. It's not there. That word or name is actually Hey Yod Lamed Lamed Halel Halel. We also see this is this is one of the the next one is one, a really big barrier too is is Hebraic thinking versus Greek and Western thought. The Hebraic thinking is concrete. Western thinking is much more abstract, abstract. Jeff Brenner, he uses this pencil analogy. He said, you know, if you asked these two groups, you know, if you asked, what do you see? Holding up this pencil, the Western, Western thinker might say, well, it's yellow, it's thin, and it has an eraser. But an ancient Hebrew would think, well, I write with it. So, you so they would have focused more on how a thing functioned versus a, the Western obsession with appearance. Another good example is the word Baruch. It's usually tr translated 
blessing. That's a really abstract, you know, well, you know, people say, well, God bless you. Well, what does that mean? It, it, it's very subjective. It's very abstract. But to the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew, it meant to kneel down and lay a gift at the feet of. So you think about if, if you're as, asking, you know, Yahuwah Baruch you and keep you. That means he have him to lay a gift at feet. Now, there also exists a cultural difference uh, as well. You've got modern versus ancient consumer or technological society. Uh, cannot co comprehend the nomadic agrarian society. You have people who, um, who were getting up with the sun, doing their, their tasks for the day, and then going to bed when the sun went down. And just like people stay up at all hours of the night. And during our time. So you've got that. That. Um, struggle right there. In this. So I'm going to try to peel away some of that away. Some of those less levels of obscurity. Before I continue though. I want to pause anyone have any questions about what I've presented so far. Any questions? Yeah, Pam, you mentioned the this more the square script compared to paleo. Yes. Um, and maybe you're going to answer this later, but uh, what what are we losing from paleo to the square script uh, Hebrew we have now? What, what do you see? Oh well, the biggest thing that I see see it has become, and it, it they're getting even squarer. You know. If you see some of these, like these newspapers in Hebrew, it's it's losing the idea of a picture. It, it was originally a picture. Say, for instance, the Aleph. We look at the Aleph and the original ancient form. It was the ox head. So you've got the ox head there. And, it, and the ox meant strength, power. And it was actually, you know, often used as a symbol for Yah. But now it's it's just a, it's a squiggle here and with a little foot there and a line going up. I mean, what do you see? You don't see that picture of strength that you do in the ancient. The paleo, um, some people think that Samuel, the prophet Samuel, came up with the paleo. It is like our A flipped the the enemy he likes to reverse things he likes to turn things upside down so in the english if you flip the capital a you've got the the paleo olive and it's still you can still see the horns you can still see the snout of the you've got this picture of strength and so um that's the biggest thing is that I immediately, when I look at this ancient form and this paleo form, I get a picture in my mind. It's already, it has already changed me. It's already changed my way of thinking. Just what I've been exposed to. So I think that that's the biggest thing is the fact that, that, um, 
we, I mean, even a child can, could look at the paleo and they get an idea of what the word is about. Look at the ancient and the, uh, even a child could get an, an, uh, some idea of what this is going, what's going on in this word. All right. So, so the paleo is giving you also a picture image, uh, let yes. alone the word, it's, the letter itself is a picture image. Okay, I got you. Yeah. And, and when you're speaking about the vowels, um, I don't know if you're going to get to that too, but I, I found that interesting how uh, the, what would you call it, the Nikud, Nikud um, being added is, is uh, do you feel that it is unnecessary or not needed in the uh, paleo and or uh, script Hebrew? The paleo and the ancient had no Nikud. There, there was zero Naku. This was added on later. It's like every word in the text, by putting those Naku on there, you have actually, in a way, corrupted every single word. I see. Because uh, when, because so, when you ahead. have the he, am I right or, or correct me? Is when you have the, a paleo word where you have these letters um, assembled in a certain way. By just removing one, adding one, or uh, moving the uh, location changes the meaning completely each and every way. So adding, uh, I guess you would say, vowel points would actually, like you said, change the meaning, even though you're trying to make it easier to pronounce or pronounce it in some way, it's actually changing the meaning. That's what you're saying? Yes, it, it, it can change the meaning. Uh, I was watching one particular um, um, Bible scholar, and he, he, you know, he, he had grown up looking at the Nakud, using the Nakud, and he, was, he had this moment where he was looking at a word, and the word was actually Nephilim. And he look, he's looking at the word, and he takes away those vowel points and he looks at this word and it's nafaling, which is a little bit different meaning. Uh, I like to think of nephilim as like the offspring and the nafaling. Nafal means to fall or to leave your estate. If you think in, word, in, the, in the book of Jude, it said they left their first estate. The nafaling, I think, are the fallen washers. So nephilim are are like the offs that's that was what his conclusion he came to when he took away those nakud so you see it's subtle changes and i'll i'll get in more into how having those those nakud it, it sometimes it's just a subtle change but it is nonetheless a a change in the meaning I'm following. And then lastly, when you go into Psalm 2, what you're about to read next, I'm going to assume, if, and maybe you're going to clarify this, that what, you, what you're reading and, and speaking is more of a pure translation from Paleo. Is, is that what you're doing here? Uh, I'm taking the, the, the Masoretic, and I know this sounds strange. I, I, you have to be careful, especially like with Strong's. Because they they leave out part of a word, so I, I'm I'm kind of putting the modern into the paleo, and then I'm looking at the paleo. Um, and and Strong's now does have like on Esword, 
you can have the feature where it, it shows you the words in the ancient form, which is really great now. I'm glad that they're, they're doing that because you can see a, a lot uh, of meaning that is being skipped over by not looking at the ancient or the paleo. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you for clarifying. Appreciate it. I'm done. <laughs> Anyone else? The uh, I don't have a question, but I do have a comment. The King James only crowd will not be pleased with this. <laughs> no, no. Um, I I may be vilified um, because I, you know I I've I've been to churches and I've. I have, um, you know, I was, as many of you know, I, I was a church musician. Uh, that's what my degree was in, was not just music, but church, a church musician. And I was deep, deep in churchanity. And there was a lot. They would, uh, when I was, I, the last church that I was part of, I was actually afraid for my sepher. I was afraid to leave it on the pew because they were that opposed to to anything that wasn't King James that I actually was afraid that they were going to take my sepher and you know burn it <laughs> throw it in the trash because they were that antagonistic toward anything that was not um, King's version. All right, any other questions? I'm going to assume there are no other questions, so I will continue. And I'm going to look at, I'm going to start looking at Mashiach in the Psalms. And this is not, this is not an exhaustive thing. These are only a few because really and truly, I, I could probably, I could probably do so many presentations on so many different Psalms where you find Mashiach. And I've just chosen a few. And I'm going to start with Psalm 2, and I'm going to read from um, what I have found in the psalm. So this is adapted from a mizmor of David. This is Psalm 2. Goim Radash. Those nations who have no covenant with Ahaya make a tumult. They rage. They gather into a community. They meditate. They study worthless things. In vain, Molech, Melech, of earth takes position. The noble princes take counsel. They advise one another. They establish a foundation. They set their plans united, working as one, to cast off, break asunder any bond or restraint the self-existent one, Ahaya, Mashiach, place upon them. Cast off, hurl away the wreath and chains. The established one who dwells, the keeper of the house, settles down to judge. The high and lofty one above the arch of sky shall with laughter and loud derision make sport of them. Adonai shall mock. He shall hold them in derision. Answer, command, subdue with your word. With a flare of his nostrils and a blast of his wrath, they shall be dismayed. Speedily, Palpitations shall seize them at his fierce wrath. 
Pour out a libation, anoint Melech, king and messenger, set him upon his throne, upon the sacred mountain of Zion. Make an inscription, scribe the tally mark, declare, make an enactment, appoint time, space, quantity, and labor. The self-existent eternal Ahia has certified, has earnestly promised, son, builder of the house, from sunrise to sunset you are brought forth. I declare your pedigree. Inquire of me and treat my leave, and I will assign, I will appoint, I will recompense. I will deliver a troop of animals, a flock of locusts, foreign nations, as your inheritance and possession. In your displeasure, spoil them. Break them in pieces. Afflict those who have have afflicted. With the rod of correction, the tool of iron, scatter them. Dash them to pieces. Break them down to bone and marrow. As a potter, mold and fashion them as a vessel, a weapon, an instrument or psalter. Consider yourselves and deal prudently, you melachim, you royal governing ones. Be chastised and reproved, you that contend. With violent emotion, cringe with fear, shudder and tremble. Attach yourselves to the heir apparent. He is sorely displeased. He breathes hard in his wrath. Fall and perish. You shall not escape when he treads down, when he threshes, when with a flare of his nostrils the fire of his wrath is kindled but a little. The Baruch and happy flee to his protection. The Baruch and happy make the self-existent one, Ahaya, their refuge. Now, Psalm 2 is probably the most recognized Messianic psalm in Scripture. It contains eight verses and four viewpoints. The first viewpoint being David's. The second is Melech number one. The third uh, is Elohim's view. The fourth is Melech number two, with a return to David's viewpoint at the end to give it kind of a rounded form. I see this mesmore of David's as a tale of two kings. The first king is the Melech of Earth. It is Mem Lamed Kafiod. This word is often translated kings. This is inaccurate. That word is singular. It thus Melech. It can also, if you take away those Nukud, you can translate it into Molech. And the word for rulers is plural. It's um, Strong's H7336, Rosanim, and it's Vav, Resh, Vav, Zadi, Nun, Yod, Mem. I apologize. I made a mistake when I was typing up the article. So this Melek of Earth, or Molek, he sits upon his throne with counselors before him. This is a mimicry, a cheap imitation of the heavenly court uh you can you know that the enemy he's always trying to to copy uh yah and the council of the fallen is usually marked by infighting and jockeying for position yet here in this passage they're united in purpose they wish to cast off all restraint 
any bonds that have been placed upon them by Yahuwah and his Mashiach, the anointed one. Now, this council of the fallen is also mentioned in Psalm 1-1. In the Etzephra, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That's what it's talking about. The counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. A second witness is also found in Psalm, uh, to Psalm 2. It's also found in Psalm 83, 2 through 5. For behold, my enemies who actively oppose me clamor. They make a tumult, growling and roaring. My haters have lifted their heads. They raise the shoulder. They exalt their chief. This one against the people of, co of the covenant, the kindred, have they become shrewd. They craft subtle machinations. They make cunning counsel against the kindred. This assembly purposed, divided, planned this against the treasure which you have hidden from discovery. They declared, come, let us make them desolate and cut them off from being a people. Let them no more be held in remembrance. Let the name of Israel no longer continue. They have purposed with their minds united. They are cut off. So um, if we drop down now to verse 6, we find another Melech. This is singular again. But this Melech, this king, sits upon the sacred mountain of Zion. And we have the yod heh vav -Heh and aleph mim resh So Yahuwah Amar is to this second Melech that Yahuwah declares, he commands, he promises, he certifies to this one enthroned on the sacred mountain, you are my son. Ben, I mean, Bet, Nun, Yod, my son. Now, in ancient Hebrew culture, a son was the builder of the house. When you had children, you enlarged the tent to accommodate. A daughter would usually marry, move off, and, and be with her husband's family, but the son stayed. Bet, if you'll look at that chart that I dropped into the chat, it means in the house. Noon means inheritance or seed. If you look at uh, the ancient form, it actually looks like a little, a little seed that has sprouted. So the, the bet, this means the seed in the house or the inheritance of the house, hence the word son. So the father promises to establish the son's kingdom. And uh, in Matthew, we see this echoed in Matthew. We have another witness in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm reading from the Sefer. And Yosha came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to guard all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The world. Amen. So he promises, <clears throat> also later in Psalm 132, to reveal the Son. I'm going to save that psalm for later. We're going to get into that. Uh, but first, let's look at that word, begotten, Yalad. This word, according to Strong's, means to bear or bring forth. We have Yod, Lamed, Dalet, uh, Tav, Yod, Kaf. 
The underlying meaning of the word yalad, which is usually translated begotten. If you look at the meaning, if you look at the chart that I dropped in there, if you look at the meaning of all of those, and if you put that into a sentence, you have the hand of the shepherd, the door to the covenant that leads with the hand with the open palm. So that's what begotten means. Uh, it's presented as begot in the King James, and it's the, in the uh, ESV, they say the word bore. Now here again, when you take away the nakud, yalad means to, to bring forth, to bear. But if you, if you take away those nakud, yaled means male child. So that's another one. Uh, another way that Naku can change the meaning. Now let's look at the New Testament versions that are usually uh, translated begotten son. And this is a separate word. This is not the same word, but it's usually translated begotten son. The baptism of Yosha in Matthew 3, 16 through 17 from the Etzephra tells us, And Yosha, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Ruach, Elohim, descending like a dove, and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my Yehid, beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration of Yosha in Matthew 17, 5, again the F Sepher, while he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my Yahid, beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. In John 3.16, we all know this. This is a verse people memorize from the time they're very small. Yahusha tells Nicodemus at night, For Elohim so loved the world that he gave his Yahid, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In these passages, the word, the Hebrew word, Yechid, Hebrew 3173, is often translated in the King James as only begotten son. So this is kind of, I use that, even though it was a separate word, it's still linking him as the begotten. Uh, Yasha, also to, to tie into that thought of the, the, the begotten meaning that it is the door to the covenant and the open palm. Uh, a few verses that I dropped in. Uh, Yasha says, I'm the good shepherd. That's in John 10, 11 through 18. He says, I'm the door. John 10 and 9. He call, calls upon pa, uh, Thomas to behold my hands in Luke 24, 39. So the picture, picture that I see when I see this word, Yalad, begotten, is that that of Yahusha, our good shepherd, our door to the covenant, standing with his open palm, hand outstretched, greatly desiring to lead us from chaos into the shalom of Elohim. Now, uh, next, if we drop down to, 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 down to, to these lower verses, we'll discover the word bar. This is also translated son, but it has a, a different meaning. It's bet-resh. Now, the meaning of these letters point to in the house, head of man, or the head of the tent. Traditionally, it can mean the heir or heir apparent. Now, father in Hebrew is, is Aleph, 
bet. And the father is the strength of the house, but the son is the head of the house. The, the son did the father's business. If you look at the lives of the patriarchs, you'll see that happening. You see where the, the, the patriarchs, you know, the sons of Jacob, they're out there doing their father's work. They're taking care of the sheep. They're doing the father's business. Even Esau, you know, is even with his character, when Isaac said, you know, son, go out and get me a deer. Go get, you know, some, some meat. Esau goes and does it because, you know, they do their father's business. Now, I want to look at this, this word bar. I, I love this. These two letters begin all of Scripture. These people who say that uh, Yahusha is not in the Tanakh, the first two letters of the Bible in Genesis, Bar Resh Aleph Shin Yod Tav, Bereshit, you know this word, the first two letters in the Hebrew test, Baresh is son, inheritor. So, and then the next letter is the Aleph. And I told you before that that is associated with Elohim, the father. So if you take these first three words in the Hebrew text of scripture, it's saying the son or heir apparent of Elohim. Baresh Aleph, son, heir a parent of Elohim. Now, bar is a primitive root. Now, the next word is also a primitive root. If you take the next two letters in Bereshit, you have um, you have Aleph Shin, and if you'll notice on that chart, the Shin it looks like two teeth in the ancient form. So you've got this strong ox, and then these teeth that devour or eat. And what this means is. Uh, the strong devouring, and that is the word for uh, fire, but it's also the word for man. So if you take these first four letters of the Hebrew text of Scripture, first book in the Bible, it is saying the son or heir of man, the heir apparent of man. So that sort of blew my mind. Now, going back to Psalms, these rulers are warned these rulers of earth, they're warned to attach themselves. Kiss is the word used in some translation. This son, heir, heir apparent. This word uh, means to closely attach yourself. Kind of like, you know, these uh, sycophants or, you know, these hangers on due to political leaders or celebrities. Now, before I move on to another section, I want you to ponder these questions. Who is the son in Psalm 2? Who is the Melech of earth? Who is the Melech enthroned on the sacred mountain? And who is the son, the heir, the heir apparent of Elohim, of, um, of man? All right, so is... Are there any questions before I go on? Any more questions? Comments? Observations? Can you hear me? <laughs> so, with uh, uh, the, the opening of 
Genesis in the beginning was is what uh it's what beer sheath is that correct? Beer sheath, yes. Yeah, and how do you how do you take that? I mean, if it means in the beginning, and you were talking about you know the son inheritor, how would you if you were to write that out as similar as you do to the Psalms? How would you express that? Um. Well, first of all, the the letter bet means in the house. It's like it, it can be called in the beginning, but it also is in the house of the beginning. In the house of the beginning, the son, the heir apparent. And then the next word, bara, there you have bet and resh again. You know, uh, you know, we talk, I mean, someone once said, I think it was of Trump. They said that Trump was playing 4D chess while everybody else was playing, you know, regular chess. Well, if you, if you could recognize, if you could look at this Hebrew text, you would realize that the Most High is playing on a level that we can't even comprehend. I mean, you have these code searcher people. I, I've just looked at a little bit of what they do. It's just unbelievable the, the levels of complexity and the levels of meaning that are in the Hebrew. It can it can blow your mind, and it's all it's pointing to the sun, point to the to the sun again and again and again. So if I wrote that out, I would say in the house of the beginning, the sun, the hair apparent, creator, Elohim. You know, because the word bara could also mean creator, not just created. It could also mean creator. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, because it could actually be saying that, you know, we it, it, John 1 and 1, I, I was going to mention this later. John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Elohim. The Word was Elohim. The same was in the beginning with Him. And so it talks about that how nothing was made that was made without the Word, without the Son. And so you're you're basically saying that... John, when he's writing that in John 1, 1, he's not necessarily making that up. And we, of course, we know he's not, but that he's actually, he could be pulling that from the Paleo-Hebrew. What's he, already he, he, there. Yeah, he absolutely could be. And also we know that, you know, the Targums, um, we, you know, so much has been hidden. The fact that the word of Yahuwah, you know, that the son was so active it was so active, you know, we're, we're acting like we just showed up in the New Testament. No, he was always there. He was always there. He was always acting on the, his father's behalf. Always. Any other comments, questions, observations? If not, I'm going to, uh, before I go to the next psalm that I want to look at, I'm going to look at a few words, uh, particularly uh, at the name of Yahusha, the name of our Messiah. Now, before his birth, Joseph and Miriam were instructed to name him Yahusha. Uh, she's given some promises concerning this child, that he would be great. He would be called the son of El and he would be given the throne of his 
ancestor David. He would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom would have no end. Now, Strong states that this name, Yahusha, is a combination of Yah, the shortened ver- version of Yahuwah, and Yesha, the word for salvation. Um, I've also I found that in the Psalms, there's another word, it's Yeshua, but it's got the it's got the hay at the end. I think of it as a combination of the Father, the Son in the center, and then the Ruach at the end. Because it's a feminine word. So or they call it a feminine word. So then the word Yeshua, it sounds the same as Yeshua, but it's just spelled differently in the English and in the Hebrew. It is and so these are names this is the name often used for Yeshua. Uh, other names uh, that are found in the Tanakh is the angel of the Lord or angel of Yahuwah. The word, the Hebrew word used is Malach, sometimes called messenger, but more often than not translated angel. And this is the same letters. If you take away those Nakud, it's Mem, Lamed, Kof. It's the same as Melech. So it could be king or messenger. Now, in Genesis 16 and 7 through 10, um, the, the angel of, of Yahuwah it appears to, unto Hagar. But if you'll notice, if, you, if you'll, I'm, I'm just going to just, I'm not really going to read that. But if you, no, if you notice in that passage, the angel of Yahuwah is speaking in first person. He's speaking in first person. He's making statements of, you know, that Yahuwah would make, and he's speaking in first po- person. Now, Genesis 22 and 16, again, the, uh, Abraham is he's speaking with the angel of Yahuwah, but, again, the angel is speaking in the first person. In Genesis 31, Jacob is wrestling with an, the angel. And later, when he's recounting this, this encounter, he says that he has seen Elohim face to face. But John 1.18 states that no one has seen Yahuwah the Father face to face. So the early fir- uh, church fathers, they struggled with this. They said, how can this be so? How can the angel of Yahuwah be called Elohim? They came to the conclusion since if this was Elohim, but not the Father, and not the Ruach HaKodesh, because, you know, the Ruach HaKodesh was seen as having, not having a corporal form, then it must be Elohim the Son. Um, for a better understanding, a deeper understanding, um, Adam Fink has done a, a great job uh, talking about the identity of the angel of Yahuwah. Uh, in the article, I posted the link that you can look at Adam's article. Now, uh, uh, the next name for Yeshua, we have the son of Elohim. Now, Daniel 3 and 25, the word used here is bar Elohe, or the heir apparent, or son of Elohim. This is not, um, this is not that term that's used in Genesis 6, when we're talking about the Genesis 6 conspiracy. The phrase, that phrase in that passage is B'nai Elohim. That's plural. And these are the ones who committed iniquity. So Bar 
Elohe or Bar, you know, that's the heir apparent of Elohim. And of course, I, I spoke to you about Bereshit, the word Bereshit. Now, the son of Ad Adam, this, this is a name that is used in the book of en Enoch, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. That again is the word Bar. Bar Anash. This is means the heir, heir apparent or son of humans, human humankind, mankind. So this Bar Anash comes in the clouds. This one is presented to the Ancient of Days. Then he inherits. He becomes the heir or heir apparent of mankind. Uh, the word of Yahuwah. This is one of my favorites. Um, this is also used in the Targum. The Targum is just full of the word of Yahuwah. Uh, the Jewish yeah. philosopher. Look, they only make us fly. They only make us fly. I said no. If they get fly. Put it down. Yep, fly. But okay. The word of Yahuwah. Um, the Jewish philosopher Philo, he identified the angel of the Lord with the the word of God or the word you know the angel of the Lord word of Yahuwah the apostle John also makes this connection when he's talking about you know we we already spoke of this passage John 1 1 through 3 in the beginning was the word the word was with Elohim and the word was Elohim now in Psalm 18 30 the word of Yahuwah Pure and refined as gold. He is like a shield of scaly dragon hide and impenetrable defense. I flee to him for protection. In Psalm 33 and 4. For level and straight, upright and pleasing is the word of Yahuwah. The entirety of his achievements, his undertakings, he, his labors are steadfast and firm. So, you know, in, um, in, the, in the beginning was the word, of course. Uh, the word was with Elohim, and Elohim was the word. The same was in the beginning with him. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And Isaiah 40 and 8 from the Sefer says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of Elohim will stand forever. Now, I, I want to look at a passage from the, the prophet Micah in which it talks about the word of Yahuwah. And it also ties in with what we've read in Psalm 2. The word of Yahuwah that exists to Micah, son of Morasti. There shall exist in the latter end, yes, in that time shall exist a house in the land of Ephraim, a mountain, a dwelling place, and habitation for Yahuwah, the self-existent one, the summit, firm and well-established, shall be lifted up above the hills, lower than the mountain, shining, radiant, shall flow sparkling streams on account of the people of the covenant, the kindred, the going, the nations without the covenant, the chief and great ones shall declare, walk this way, let us ascend into the mountain of Yahuwah, the self-existent one, near the dwelling place of the Elohim of Yaakov, he shall pour forth his course of life. He shall instruct in his way. Come, for from Zion shall come forth the Torah and the word of Yahuwah from 
Jerusalem. Micah 4, 1 through 2. Now, the tabernacle once rested in the land of Ephraim at the city of Shiloh. This was during the time of Joshua until the ministry of Samuel began. And it was during that time that the ark, during Samuel's time, that the ark was captured and the sons of uh, Eli the priest were slain. Uh, later, the Ark of the Covenant was recovered and David moved the tabernacle to Jerusalem. This text in Micah could be referring to the fact that the new Jerusalem will once again rest in the land of Ephraim. Uh, but of course, you know, the new Jerusalem is, I think, 1,500 square miles, something like that. Uh, Noel can, he can confirm that. I think that's what it is. Um, an important point that I want you to glean from this is that Yahushua, the word of Yahuwah, he reigns from the Kodesh mountain of Zion and from New Jerusalem. I believe that Zion and New Jerusalem to be synonymous. And we should not confuse these with that piece of real estate that is currently called the Holy Land. Now, um, the Mashiach in Psalms 132, 13 through 17. For the self-existent eternal one, Yahuwah has chosen Zion. Longingly he has sighed, greedily he has desired it as his dwelling place. This one is my place of quiet rest for ancient time and for the continuing future. Hither will I remain, for I prefer it. A provision of food will be placed at the feet of those who want, those needing deliverance, those subject to oppression and abuse. They will be sated with bread. Lechem. The priest, Kohen, will be clothed with Yeshua. They will dress themselves with garments of salvation. The kind and faithful ones will be overcome with joyful cries. There, Zion, rays of light shall spring forth. Horns of power, the horn of David shall spring up. There I have arranged a lamp for Mashiach, mine anointed. Now, this passage in 132, it um, contains many interesting facts or prophecies, if you prefer. The first is that Zion is the dwelling place of Yahuwah. It is also the place where Mashiach reigns. Three classes of people are mentioned. The lowest class, which are the poor and the needy, the weak, the abused. The next is the, the priest, the Kohen. Uh, lastly, the faithful. Wahasideha, it's sometimes translated as saints. Um, the, another interesting word here is Karen, Karen uh, which is usually translated shown or horns. It means to either send out rays of light or to sprout horns. Um, the horns of Moses, and this word is used in Exodus 34. Religious art of the Middle Ages, I'm sorry, I don't know what else to call it, um, depicts Moses with horns. Exodus 34, 29, 30, and 35. And it came to pass when Moshe came down from Mount Sinai with, two, with the two sapphires of testimony in Moshe's hand, when he came down from the mountain that Moshe knew not that the skin of his face shone when he talked with him. And when Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moshe, behold, the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. 
And the children of Yeshurel saw the face of Moshe, that the skin of Moshe's face shone. And Moshe put the veil upon his face again when he went in to speak to him. I imagine that this was kind of frightening to people who had come in contact with Nephilim. They might have wrongly assumed, assumed wrongly, that Moshe was, he was, he was such a creature. Um, for those of you who are offended at the thought of Moses having horns, uh, just stop and consider. The, the text is saying what the text is saying. Uh, whether it's, it's sprouting horns or rays of light, something was going on and it really frightened the, pe the people. Now, this word is also used in Daniel 7 and 8 when it's talking about the uh, little horn. So, um, Mashiach reigns in Zion. David, who was also an anointed one, he reigned in Hebron for a large part of his um, kingship, which was right in the center of giant territory and in the historical city of Z Jerusalem. Again, this piece of real estate that's called Jerusalem in our time should not be confused with sacred Zion. Um, is there any, any questions? Before I go to another psalm, any comments? No comments, no questions. I hope you're still there. <laughs> all right. Oh yeah, we're all we're all still listening. Yeah. <laughs> I went. Y'all are so silent. I'm just like, oh, okay. All well, right, this is a, this is. I was gonna say this is really good stuff, and I'm processing all of this so it, if i if i ask questions i'm going to sound really stupid <laughs> no no um it, it's a lot to take in um when you realize what the text the text says what the text says and you know we have a tendency to want to clean it up because some of it gets pretty graphic if you look at it it's pretty graphic and we want to clean it up uh, but it says, says, it absolutely says what it says. Uh, now, uh, in Psalm 110, this is also about the righteous king. This is adapted from a mismore of David, a declaration of Yahuwah unto Adonai. Sit down at my right side near my strong, dexterous right hand until I lay waste, until I have put down your haters as a stool to place your foot upon. The branch, Nazir, the staff of strength, the self-existent eternal one stretches from Zion. Have dominion. Tread down the entrails of your foes. The people of the covenant, your kindred, with a spontaneous willing gift offered up at the sunrise to sunset of your might. These are an ornament of splendor, the dew of youth, Kodesh, set apart from the womb of the dawn. The self-existent eternal one, Yahuwah, has taken an oath. He will not repent. He will not rue his promise. You, a priest, Olam, further than one can see or perceive, to the edge of the horizon and beyond, according to the order and estate of Melchizedek, righteous king. 
my Adonai, according to my strong, dexterous right hand, at the time period between sunrise to sunset, when his nostrils flare, when anger rises hotly in his face, when he breathes violently in his wrath, kings shall he crush and violently pierce through. He shall judge the going, a flight of locusts, a troop of animals, the people who are without the covenant. Then shall it be accomplished. Then shall justice be satisfied, be filled with carcasses. He shall crush, violently pierce through the elite, the abundant and numerous, the choicest and best, the chief of the earth. As the flood of the winter torrent, as streams along the journey, as a palm tree in the distance, thus shall the head be exalted. So, uh, Yosha is the righteous king. We know that he was descended from David. We can look at his lineage in Matthew 1, 6 through 16, Luke 1, 32 through 32, Luke 1, 68 through 69, Luke 3, 23 through 38. We know that there were promises made to David. He was told, David was told that he would always have a descendant to sit upon the throne. Now let's look at Yosha as the branch. That was also in this psalm. Uh, Yosha states in John 14 from the Etzepher, I am the vine of truth and my father is the husbandman. Every branch, there's that word in the zir, in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth much fruit. Now, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear a fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the netzarim. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. As a side note, I, I love this passage. I just love this passage. Because I can imagine the faces of Yahshua's listener as he stated, I am. I am vine. That word is Ahaya, which means I exist. That was the name that Moses was commanded to share with the tribes of Israel. In Exodus 3 and 14, and Elohim said unto Moshe, Ahaya, Ashire, Ahaya. And he said, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, Ahaya has sent me unto you. Now, this word Nazir refers to the servant to come as well as believers in Mashiach. I think we can easily identify that the branch, this branch, after we look at, at these Old Testament passages and this psalm, we can identify who is the branch. In um, Matthew, we have the account of Joseph, Miriam, and the infant Yoshub fleeing into Egypt to escape the massacre of the innocents. In a vision, Joseph is told that the man seeking to slay Yosha is dead, but when Joseph hears that Archelaus is reigning in the place of his father Herod the Great, Joseph, being warned of El in a dream, turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled by the, that which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. That's that word, branch. 
So uh, Zechariah 3 and 8 in the Sefer says, Hear now, O Yahusha the high priest, you and your fellows that sit before you, for they are men to be wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. The branch which is stretched out from Yahuwah, from the Kodesh city of Zion, is Yahusha. And in Jeremiah uh, 23, 5 through 8, this is the English Standard Version. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahuwah, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, Yahuwah. Our righteousness is our righteousness. So this is what I've, you know, discovered so far. I I, I can't really say in conclusion because I've only, as you saw, I only gave just a few of the Psalms. There's so much. Um, I see Mashiach again and again and again. And I, I didn't even touch on the Targums really or any extra biblical text to reinforce this, this understanding. So the question is, did I make a good case for Mashiach in the Psalms or not? Do you believe that there are sufficient witnesses to what I have been saying, or am I just building castles in the air? Am I seeing what I want to see? Whatever your conclusions, I, I thank you for listening. And I hope that it's edified you, or if at least, I hope that it will spur you to look into the scriptures, particularly the Hebrew text, for yourself. I mean, go check it out. Be a good Berean. Make sure that I'm that I, I'm not making any mistakes. So, um, any 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 comments now? This is this is the time. So I have a a few and. You've told me uh, many times, and you just said it just now, that you see Messiah all throughout the Old Testament, the, throughout Torah, the Tanakh. And why do you—I don't even know how to phrase this question, but it almost seems to me like there there is a conspiracy that he's not being brought up more. I, I would think that more people would be all over this. I don't, Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I think that you're absolutely correct that um, it was an attempt. I mean, in, in particular, the many of the apocryphal are very messianic in nature. And they just snatch those, you know, they encourage the snatching of the apocryphal out of the canon. Um, and people, it, it seems to me that there is that element, that conspiracy to to hide Messiah from people so that uh, you do have people's faith being weakened by the thought that, well, it's not it's not there. He's not there in the Old Testament. And if well, he's not, the, you know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break up your thought. I, I thought you had a uh, uh, fish. What I was what, what when you mentioned the Apocrypha, that's I find that really fascinating because. It is true that a lot of the books that have been tossed out, like the Ascension of Isaiah, which I don't, that I don't know if that was ever apocryphal, but 
um, and, and some of the others, even the book of Adam and Eve and stuff, they will talk about, they will identify the Messiah with being the son. And it's, it, and it seems to me that, you know, people are dating to say, well, that that's proof that that's, you know, Christian era or whatever. But it seems like you've made a case that the word the son can be found as a de- as being identified with the word in the Tanakh. Am, am I correct in hearing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's in the Psalms. Um, and it's it's in other places. I just mostly concentrated on what I saw in the Psalms. But it's elsewhere. He's he's certainly elsewhere. He's certainly in the first five books of the, of, of the Torah. Um, uh, you know, it, it he's he's there. It's just like it's it's like his. Uh, I think I was listening to Lisa. You know, um, I I wasn't able to be here at the listening in person, but I was listening to Lisa's presentation and talking about the eyes being darkened people's eyes being darkened it's like in some cases it was it was it was a conspiracy to cover up messiah but also people's eyes are darkened they're darkened to the fact it's right there in front of them i mean how many times have we read the same passage over and over again and then one day oh we see something we didn't see before uh, even the talking about unexpected cosmology. I mean, we had read it. I mean, I had been in churchianity, and then suddenly in 2017, my eyes were opened, and it's like, oh, oh, the earth is not what they're saying the earth is. So it's it's there, and part of it is is the cover up, but also the part our own our eyes are darkened to what's in front of us. Hey, Pam. Yeah. Hey, first of all, I would just like to say good job, buddy. Good job. High fives and, and backpats and all that. Um, you, you've done really well on this. Um, and I would like to uh, just second the motion that Yeshua HaMashiach, before his physical incarnation, um, is readily, readily available and present throughout the entire of the Pentateuch, the Tanakh, the the law the the, the poems um, I'm going through um, the the targum and translating it uh, from the Benuziel and the Etheridge uh, translation I find the word you know the phrase the word of Yahweh or Yahuwah uh, the word of you know Adonai the word this the word that I mean, he's everywhere he's it's so it's like it's it's literally like taking a front seat to my entire reading of of Genesis account of the creation of the beginning of, of Abraham uh, everything you know it's just, uh, even 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 Abraham and, and Isaac up on the mountain you know the word found the, the ram and I'm like what what really and uh, you know um, Ishmael and, and Hagar cast out and the angel of the word of Yahweh comes and I'm like wait what wait the angel of the word of Yahuwah? wait what Wait, so it's 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 a, it's a happy experience for me um, to to go through this, and I, and I feel like um, though we're not present in the body, I feel like together we and you and I and, and corporately even are, are going through this and finding out that he's always been there and he's always been ready and willing and, and calling to us to explore his his word, you know, 
Um, and when I say <laughs> explore his word, I do mean the father asking us to explore his son through the scriptures. I'm like, because his word is the word and the word was made flesh. And I'm like, wow. But before it was made flesh, it was already there. And here I am getting saved again for the first time, you know, over and over again. Yeah. Every time I find him, he's 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 there. And so um, and second, I guess, thirdly, I would like to say I, when I was in seminary, we did have a class. It was one semester uh, that we had that we found, quote unquote, Christ in the scriptures or quote unquote, Christ in the Old Testament. And they never brought up any of this. They would always bring up like these random allegories that, oh, this, this, here he is. You know, and it was almost like poetically sappy or, or, you know, trite in the, in the finding of him. Oh, you know, the red cord is always there. And I'm like, that's, you know, all these things <laughs> yeah. that are allegorically finding. But I'm, but when we go to the literal transliterations, you know, but from the Hebrew, the Odeo Paleo directly to, what we find, you know, from from the the Protestant canon of seventy to the the the, the apocryphal deuterocanonical texts, it's he's always been there. He's never left, you know. It, though our eyes were darkened, they will be made as open. And so I think he is the giver of sight. And uh, you know, it's just it's just following along, you know. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And I just have to keep on keeping on finding him and finding him and finding him again and throwing away my. My training, my tra my tradition, and just diving back in. You know, every time I have an occurrence where man's doctrine and God's doctrine clash, I always have to throw away man and say, "Okay, Yeshua, show me what you want." Anyway, yeah. good job. Yeah, and uh, a point you brought up um, about the word of Yahuwah. Um, you think about you know when I when I was in church, you know, in churchianity as I, I'll call it. You know, it, it says to a lot of the prophets, it says the word of Yahuwah came to the prophet Isaiah. The word of Yahuwah came. And I always thought of it as kind of like, you know, maybe a vision or maybe uh, we might think of it in terms of, oh, yeah, he received a letter from. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. Email. the email of God came to. The yeah. email <laughs> of God, you know, the email of Elohim just appear you know came but what if it's not what if it's not what if literally word of yahuwah mashiach shows up and he came to isaiah and he talked to isaiah or he came to ezekiel exactly exactly and and it just it can blow your mind to think that he was always present and we just we've passed over it because we think of we don't think of him as the word of Yahuwah as is in we think of it not we need to get past the allegory, you know, just the you know, they we need to understand that it was literal. It it, it could be literal because that's Hebrews were they were literal people. They were literal people, they were concrete people, this this abstract stuff. You know, and that's another thing when I've gotten into the Hebrew, it's action packed. It is abs action, absolutely action packed. You know, um, we're used to things like, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, that's a verb. The word sh is shepherds. You know, it's more like shepherds. It's, it's an action verb. It's not that passive is is. It's, it's a active word. Um, since so. yeah, I, I agree i think there's a lot of times people they 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 read it as a as a story 
you know, and it's all this is this this one long story. But man, if you break it down chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you know, that's why I think it's so impactful. You know, be still and know that I am Yahuwah. You know, because the Hebrew, even even just the, I was redoing the uh, the war of of Abraham against uh, the five kings, and uh, I'm like, this this is so this is like a massive epic battle scene this all this stuff and in in one verse you know you can have more action than than like the entire lord of the rings trilogy or whatever you know Absolutely. i'm thinking wow there's so much in here and, and and the unpacking of it is is so swiftly run over by by just a general you know overreading uh and 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 paraphrasing and, and uh, sermonization from from pulpits uh but man i'll i'll tell you what i've i've gotten more out of out of out of working just with the raw text than I have every Sunday morning for my whole life. And that's, and I was saved what 47, 46 years ago. Yeah. So I've been, in, I was born and raised in church, man. And that was, dude, <laughs> you're so right. I love you so much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Polly had brought up, Polly had brought up the Aramaic Targum. And a couple weeks ago, we finished our, our cycle in Torah uh, with Deuteronomy and we've started again in Genesis, but this is how Deuteronomy ends in the Targum. And then I'll get back to the, uh, the Hebrew here, but it says this in Deuteronomy 33, 29. Happy are you, O Yasharel, who of all the nations are like you, a people saved in the name of the word of Yahuwah. And so even here, all throughout the, the, the Targum, the ancient Targum, we see that people were saved in the name of the word. Um, and also we saw Moses and Aaron, I think in Exodus and Leviticus, they actually prayed to the name of the word. And it's interesting because a lot of the people who have been falling away have been telling me they've been expressing their, I don't know, bitterness or what it is that they would, they would say how messed up it is that you get to the new Testament and all of a sudden people are not saved if they don't believe in the name of the word of Yahuwah. They're like that. That's, that's really messed up. What about all these other people in the past and such, but it's failing to notice the fact that it was always the word. It was, he was always the one by which they were saved from the very beginning. In fact, it was the word that actually made the covenant that, you know, that cut it with Abraham and walked through uh, the animal. And um, so I wanted to ask you a couple more questions and you had brought up and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing this, but uh, Ahaya, did I say that right? Ahaya. Ahaya. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have commented on this a lot and, you know, this is kind of the, the war of the, the, uh, the sacred name within the Torah community. And you've told me, you know, and you even use in your article that you're comfortable with Yahuwah, but, um, tell me more about Ahaya as well, being about, as being his name. All right. Um, well, I, this is, I, I kind of have to go go to kind of to a personal experience um you know it's one of those cases where you've read and read and read and pass over and pass over and eyes darken that kind of thing um and one day um you know i was reading and i was reading in the the um the third 
chapter of Exodus. And I was looking at the Hebrew. And it was, it was saying, and so he's talking to, to, Mo, to Moshe. And he says, I have heard. I have seen. I know. You know, you know what's going. He, he knows what's going on, and I have come down. So he's, I, I hear, I see, I know. I have come down, and you know, in my life, it, it was the impact of him talking, speaking those words to me through the ruach. I, I see. I mean, I hear, I see, I know. I have come down, and, and he said. uh and he was, it was like he was saying these words in, he was breathing those words into me. And he said, Ahaya, you know, when Moses was like, you know, what's, what's his name? You know, what am I supposed to tell folks? And it's funny to me that we've never, you know, we, we don't really use that name. We don't really, even though that was the name that, that Moses was commanded to use. He was, he was told, this is the world where the name you use with them. And so the thing, as opposed to, uh, you know, I'm comfortable with Yahuwah, but the thing with Ahaya is that it's, it's the Aleph. You know, I've told you about that the Aleph represents the strength. It's, it's a picture of Yah himself, the Elohim. There's three of them. Ahaya. There they are. Boom, boom, boom. So it's like it, the impact of seeing those, those, those three Alephs in a row. It underscored to me, you know, the power. And then uh, how I made the connection with, you know, uh, Yosha was the fact that he said, I am. He's trying to tell them, I am. This, this person, this this one to sp- that spoke from the burning bush and and most it's actually a thorn bush the one who wore the thorns the one who hung on the cross that that connection is you know trying to make that connection that the the word of yahuwah the ahaya uh, it's just the power of of that moment in my life and that's why i, I use ahaya a lot Hey yes, guys, Pam, it's Sister Deborah. Yes, yes, um, yes. I had a experience, and you and I talked about this, and uh, it happened the same way as I was reading Exodus three fourteen, and I was having that same question: Why does no one use that if if Ahaya Asher Ahaya means I am exist will exist. Um, that's pretty powerful. And so um, <laughs> when, when you gave your presentation, and Noel, I'm, I hope I'm not treading on your question. Maybe it'll relate to it a little bit here. Um, when, when you were giving your presentation and used that name or the description of Father, which is I am, exists, and will exist, um, I had found when I did more studies that you can take this Old Testament word and link it straight over in the New Testament in Greek by, I'll give you one example. 
in Revelation 22, 13, um, it says, I am the Aleph, or, or sorry, the, well, it says the Alpha and Omega Greek. But if it were to say that in Hebrew, it would say Ahaya Aleph Ta. So, um, you know, it pulls that name out of Exodus 3.14. And it does still bring in Yeshua then also into the Old Testament again. Um, yes, absolutely. What you said about if you've ever looked at if I don't know if you've looked into the Hebrew revelation, um, the 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 um, you know, revelation in Hebrew, uh, it actually says it doesn't say I am the Alpha and Omega. It says I am the Aleph and the Tav. So you've got that strong, that strong ox, that strength, and you've got the Tav, which is the mark of the covenant. So, uh, you know, the Aleph and the Tav, it's, you know, the Sefer puts the Aleph and the Tav, the Et, the Et, you know, it's, it was removed like 9,000 times from the KJV they don't put it in there strong says it's undecipherable that the olive and the tav which is everywhere it they it says it's it can't be translated there's no equivalent uh but uh, i think that it's the presence if you just look at the olive and the tav it's the presence of yeshua everywhere in the old testament it's everywhere in the first verse, uh, if you look at the first verse, you know, I talked about that one. Bereshit bara Elohim et haishamayim wa'et haiaretz. I think that this is all of human history is in that one verse that you can look at it and see what's going to be happening. First, you have, you know, in the house of the beginning, the creator, the son. Um, Elohim et that is the center there's seven words there seven words in the Hebrew the middle word is et the Aleph Tav so if he is the Aleph Tav he's right in the center of that first verse and then you've got et Hashemayim wa et there it is again et et so he, he he's he's in the heavens but then he comes down to earth. Do you see the Aleph Tav, Wa'et Haishamayan, Wa'et Haiaret? So, so he ascends into heaven, but then he comes back down to earth. Does that make sense? Am I, have I lost everybody? <laughs> well, my follow up question to that, because I've been thinking about this a lot, and I don't have any sol solutions at this point in time but one of the you know things i've been approached with is this ahaya verse in exodus i think you said it was chapter three correct at the yes. burning bush and and some have suggested that that is proof that we sh that, that is alone his name and that yahuwah is a pagan name but what i which i don't agree with but what i'm trying to understand is why is that not in scripture more like why is why do we see yahuwah throughout scripture more 
if we're to call him Ahaya. You understand? Well, like I, I'm just... It's actually the it's 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 the root word of Ahaya is Haya, which is Hey, um, Aleph, Hey, I think it is, um, or no, Hey Yod, Hey, but uh, that it's it's everywhere. There exists. There exists. There exists. That word, the root word, is everywhere. Uh, we just we just don't see it. It's not translated. Um, but yeah, you're that. right. What was that? Oh yeah, I, I said I could appreciate that. Yeah, I can understand that. I can't obviously see it. I I don't see you know the he, I don't read straight from the Hebrew. So, <laughs> well, um, it uh, the hey yod hey, which is the primitive root for Ahaya. And so what he's basically saying at that burning bush, he says, I exist because I exist. You know, it's very enigmatic, but it's true. I'm, I exist because I exist. And so I can imagine when he said that, when Yeshua said that, um, I, 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 maybe some of them had an aneurysm, you know, because their, their brain exploded when he used that word. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 again, why didn't Moses, why didn't he use it? Why didn't he use that name more? I, I don't know. Uh, because Yahuwah is used more often. And right, I'm like you, I don't, I don't agree the, with. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I don't agree. There are some people who, who were, you know, and I'm very cautious, you know, don't, don't spout that about, because like I said, the text says what the text says, and uh, yod hey vav hey, that's everywhere, and the text says what the text says, and, um, you know, we, we say, well, you know, it could, could have been corrupted, well, he, it, he preserves his word. It says so in scripture. He has preserved his word. Uh, I know I grew up in Alabama, Tornado Alley, you know. I can tell you plenty of times where, you know, there's this huge destruction. You know, everything blown away. And there's a Bible right in the middle. There it is. Preserved. House burns down and there's grandma's Bible right in the center of the burned down house. He preserves his word. He preserves it. And um, yes, the Nakud, you know, they, they did some stuff with the Nakud, but the, the basic text, I mean, it, there's too many copies of it everywhere, Russia, everywhere, you know, the Leningrad, the Masoretic, all these different copies. There's too much of it. I mean, I'm sure the enemy would like to get rid of it all, but he's not been successful. So, does, if that clarifies anything, or if I'm clear as mud, I don't know. Well, unless if anyone else has anything, I think someone was just jumping in there. Me. But go ahead, Polly. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I mean, I don't hate to. I mean, I don't want to. I mean, Pam, Alabama, but I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, and I'll tell you about tornadoes. <laughs> but I would just like to attest and reaffirm that that your story is correct. 
my family's house was destroyed by the Andover tornado of 91. Um, and uh, I've seen several of them. You were right. Now, not only is it the quote unquote, the Bible or the Sefer, his word. But if you take that and put it in the, the, the law of, of, of literalism, his word, Yeshua, he preserves Yeshua. And Yeshua is, you know, and I'm not going to say this because this is kind of heretical to say, but a secondary incarnation of his word is the Bible. So I'm, I won't go that far, but I will say that, yes, um, I have I've seen complete houses destroyed, you know, just demolished. And there's this pocket of the Bible and then there's mom's jewels underneath it. Or, you know, my brother's baseball card collection was taken to the wind. Um, but yet there was this Bible right there. You know, my my cat was gone. Uh, the car was upside down. Uh, the entire trailer was twisted around a tree. But there was the Bible right there, <laughs> untouched, unscathed, and everything below was perfectly fine. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, you're right. Definitely. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say. Well, I mean, you look at the life of of, uh, of Yosha, you know, Hamashiach. You know, uh, he was preserved when Herod the Great wanted to 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 murder him, and he did murder a lot of innocent children. But the word of Yahuwah there he was preserved and there there were those times in his his life when he's you know he's during his ministry when they picked up stones to to cast at him and then it says this curious thing that he walked through them he just walks he walks through the the murderous crowd suddenly he just walks through them untouched unharmed so he yeah i was with this I always thought he was a ninja when I read that as a, as a kid. I was like, all right, Jesus is a ninja. <laughs> but now that I know better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they were going to throw him out. They were going to, there was another time, I think they were, that was that the same passage where they were going to throw him over the cliff? Yeah, was, they were going to throw him off the cliff and he just kind of moved away from it. Beside, you know, like, what happened? How do you do that? But, you know, that was the Holy Spirit, man. Just whoosh. So, anyway. Yeah. So he he preserves his word. He you know Yeshua is the word of Yahuwah, and he preserves his word. I mean, it says quite. He said it says clearly that his word is eternal. So, um, to, so yeah, you know, to to make that you know to tie in and 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 agree with what you just said.